Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. beginning a new series today entitled Life After. And I want to start by looking at John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus is speaking here. And he says in verse 33, that I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Notice what he says. He says, here on earth, you will have trials. Here on earth, you will have sorrows. Those words there, you look up the original Greek, you'll find the word tribulation. It refers to pressure. It refers to anguish. It refers to trouble. And so he's telling us that here in this life, there are times we're going to face those things, but the good news is that Jesus has already made a way out of those things. He's already made a way for us to have victory. We can be of good cheer because we know what the outcome is going to be. And although it's not God's will, most people at some time or another in their life uh, face a potentially crippling life challenge whether it's abortion or it's abuse or it's addiction or it's the loss of a loved one or it's, or it's heartbreak or it's failure, sometimes bad things happen that we just can't undo or take back. And it can be very difficult to heal from those things. It can be very difficult to just move on. Sometimes you feel like you'll just never be the same again. Sometimes you feel like your life is over. But God is a God who can take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to your good. Come on, God is a God who can take your lowest moments and transform them into your highest moments, into your highest heights. You may feel like your life is over. You may feel like your life will never be the same again, but I want you to know there is life after what happened to you. There is life after what you did. There's life after abuse. There's life after addiction. There's life after abortion. There's life after divorce. There's life after failure. God has life after available to you, and it's a good life. In Isaiah 61, it reads in verse 1 that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to console those who mourn in Zion, notice this, to give them beauty for ashes. Now, Jesus is ultimately the person that this scripture is talking about. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, when he first walks into the synagogue, after he has, uh, has been baptized and he's been anointed to carry out his ministry, he reads this opening of scripture. And he's saying 
that God has anointed me. God has put on me a supernatural ability to minister to people. And he's saying that this ability will help heal people. It'll help set people free. And one of the things he mentions that he's anointed to do is to give people beauty for ashes. Now, the word ashes is interesting uh, because often what would happen in Bible days is when something horrible happened to people, they would put ashes on their head. For example, there's a woman in the Bible that was raped by her stepbrother. And the Bible talks about she put ashes on her head. And so it was, it was a sign of great grief. And yet Jesus was saying here that I can give you, I'm here to give you beauty for ashes. You may be grieving, but I actually am able to take you from a place of great grief to a place of great joy. Another thing about the word ashes that we may relate to a little bit more is usually when something is in ashes, it's because something has burned down, right? Your house is burned down. And so everything that you own is now gone. And yet Jesus is talking about the fact that I can give you beauty for ashes in that way as well. Your house could be burned down but I'm actually able to replace that house, not only just with another house, but I'm actually able to replace that house with a, a model home. You ever been to a model home? Come on, you ever go to, to buy a home? I know some people have done this, and you're saying, hey, I want to build a house. And so you go to this model home, and the model home is decked out, right? I mean, it looks, the, the, the tile is, is special. I mean, the, the, even the counters, you know, it's granite countertops, and you know, the, the fixtures, and you, you're walking around like, man, if this is what my house is going to look like, ooh, I'm going to love this. So you sign the paper for your house to be built. And then when you walk into your new house, you're like, wait, wait. <laughs> that ain't the same tile. That, those countertops, that's not granite. <laughs> the house is not the same. Well, you know, what's funny about this word beauty is that it, it, it literally means embellishment. It's, it's talking about something that's fancy. It's talking about that model home. So God is telling you here that your home may have been burned to the ground, but I'm not just going to give you another home. I'm not going to give you, you know, even something that's similar to something nice. I'm going to give you a fancy home. What's he saying? I'm not just going to give you your life back. I'm not just going to kind of put you back on your feet. I'm going to take your life to a whole nother level. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. You know, I came across an article and it was talking about the wildfires that were in Australia and uh, that were started in September. And so there was a photograph, and you can't see it here, but uh, of, you know, really the forest and how it was all in ashes. But, the, but what was interesting about this photograph and, and, and why it, it went viral was because coming through the ground were uh, leaves flowers, and grass. In fact, uh, this article says, in some recently burned areas, signs of life are returning. I'm switching here. All right, so y'all can hear me and not the mic. In some recently burned areas, signs of life are returning as captured by local photographer Murray Lowe, who went to investigate how fire had affected the bush near his home. 
walking on the gray ash next to mobile phone mass down by the fire that ravaged the area in late December, he found green grasses and rose-colored leaves sprouting through burnt tree trunks. And of course, he went on to, to post this picture, and as it says, it went viral. So, you know, it jumped out at me. I just happened to come across this, and I thought, man, this is really relevant to what God will do, that you can find your life burned down, and yet in, in the middle of that, you can see some life sprouting up. You can see that, 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 that something good is happening here. And actually, the article goes, on, article goes on to talk about that that's what they've been looking for. They've been looking for some signs of new life. They've been looking for some renewal. God's in the business of renewal. God's in the business of, of taking what was dead and making it alive. Taking what was bitter and making it sweet. In fact, in Exodus chapter 15, we can see an example of this in verse 22. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Notice here that what God did was he took what was bitter water and he made it sweet. There's a song I've been listening to a lot on YouTube, and it's by Bethel, and, and they post a lot of songs where the Holy Spirit just starts flowing. And so the song goes, you, you've, you've taught the, the bitter to be made sweet. You've taken us from, from winter into spring. You're a God that takes us from darkness into light. In fact, one of my favorite lines is that the waves that were meant to crush you will be the waves that will lift you higher. And that's exactly how God works. He's a God who will take your bitter and make it sweet, who will take your winter and give you spring, who will take your darkness and give you light, who will take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to your good. I like what one minister says, we're not just believing to recover we're believing to thrive. And we can do that because Jesus gives beauty for ashes. Because there is life after crisis. Well, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 is interesting. You know, if you read through the Bible, you read through the Bible like we're doing as a church family, uh, what you'll find is you'll come across those pastors that talk about so-and-so beget so-and-so who beget so-and-so. Who beget so and so? Come, I mean, anybody ever skipped over, skip over those chapters? You're like, oh, I'm going to see how many chapters is this. I was about five of these. I'm just going to skip past that and get into the story. But sometimes there's a story even in the begets, and I want to look at the genealogy of Jesus to help you to see what I really want to get across to you today. So Matthew chapter one verse one says, "This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David." the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Abraham had a dysfunctional family, right? He had a, a, a child by Hagar and eventually kicked her out and her son. Isaac had a dysfunctional family. His sons were at war to the place where they had to send his son Jacob away so his son Esau didn't kill him. 
Not to mention that Isaac's favorite was Esau and his wife's favorite was Jacob. Jacob had a dysfunctional family. His sons so hated Joseph that they sold him into slavery and then lied to their father and said he'd been killed. Come on now, these, are, these aren't exactly beacons of righteousness here that are in the genealogy of Jesus. If you keep reading Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Wait a minute. Judah had children by Tamar, but Tamar was his daughter-in-law. And that story is wild because she is even worse than it sounds. You know, a lot of times you say it's not as bad as it seems. No, it's worse. It's worse. Because Tamar's husband died, then Tamar was married to his brother because that was the way they did things. If, if you didn't have seed by the husband and the, and the husband died, then the brother would take you as his wife. Then he died. So then her father-in-law, Judah, said, well, you have to wait until my youngest son becomes an adult, and then he will marry you. So when he becomes an adult, she notices that Judah does not do what he said he's going to do. So, and Judah's wife has died. So what Judah does, he's going to town one day, and he sees her sitting on the side, and she has disguised herself as a prostitute. And he says, hey, you know, let's, you know. She's like, okay. See, she's doing this on purpose. So Judah goes in and sleeps with the prostitute, gets her pregnant. Then he's told later, hey, Tamar has been sleeping around, and, and he says, bring her here. She needs to be burned. And then Tamar shows up and says, hey, remember me? Remember this? He took some items. Remember this? This is the man who I'm pregnant by. He realizes it was him. Now we're not killing nobody. And he says, I did you wrong. Well, how many, that's, that's, that's wrong. That's dysfunctional. This, is, this guy's in the genealogy of Jesus. Keep reading. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of... Men We're going to skip all of those. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Get this. Whose mother was Rahab. Rahab? Rahab? Forget Judah sleeping with a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Literally. That's what she was. That was her job. She would sleep with men for money. But when the people of God came to spy out Jericho, apparently she had already decided in her heart that she needed change. So she decided to help God's people, to hide God's people. And what they said to her was, when we come and we take over Jericho, I want you to have your family in this house. I want you to put out a scarlet thread out of your window. Of course, the blood of Jesus washes away all of our sin. That's what it represented. And when they came and took over Jericho, they saved her and they brought her into the family and she became an Israelite just like anybody else. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But does she have to be in the genealogy of Jesus? Yeah, because as far as God was concerned, her sins were washed away. Anybody glad he feels the same way about us? Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Well, Ruth was someone uh, who had been married before. And she was a Moabitess. She wasn't even an Israelite as well. Of course, we just said Rahab was a Canaanite. Keep reading. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Now, when we think about King David, we think about all the great things that he did. But notice the next thing. 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Whoa, wait, wait. You had a kid by somebody else's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. He spotted her while she was taking a bath. Okay, y'all didn't catch that, but I, I just thought that was kind of... Anyway, what? He not only committed adultery, but then he murdered her husband. So David did a lot of great things before and after that, by the way. But he's in the genealogy of Jesus? We can keep going here. Notice that of all the people in the history of the world that God could have chosen to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he chose these people. The genealogy of Jesus has messy families throughout it. In fact, throughout the Bible, we find important or great men or women that God used and blessed who had at one time or another made critical errors. Here's a list. Adam fell. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Jacob cheated. Moses murdered. Rahab prostituted. David fornicated, Jonah fled, Thomas doubted, Peter denied, Paul persecuted. We can even find places in the scripture where God used wicked men to help his people, like King Cyrus. King Cyrus was not a righteous man, but for whatever reason, God put on his heart that he was to help Israel to, to rebuild the temple. He had been a great blessing to God's people, even though he was a wicked man. He didn't serve God. So we can see that, that, that God would take people that had made some errors and God would still use those people. God would still bless those people, not while they're living in sin, but in, but in spite of what they had done. There's another person that's worth talking about in John chapter 20. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Anybody ever heard of Mary Magdalene? The Bible says about Mary Magdalene that she was someone who had seven devils cast out of her what kind of life are you living when you're being driven by seven devils a lot of people believe she was a prostitute there actually isn't much proof of that in the bible but we know that she clearly was someone that had some real issues but jesus delivered her and who was the first person that sees jesus when he is risen from the dead not Peter, not John, not Matthew, Mary Magdalene. He chose her. And, I mean, in spite of her past. I mean, when Jesus delivered her, he forgot her past, and he had a great future planned for her. He's thinking, you're going to be the first one to see me when I rise again. And she will be for all of eternity. You see, we are all... An X something. We all are. And yet God still has a future for each and every one of us. And that's one reason why even as we talked about this church from time to time, I've shared particularly with the X team that this is a church for the woman caught in adultery. 
This is a church for the madman of Gadara who was possessed with a legion of demon spirits. This is a church for the Mary Magdalene's of the world. This is a church for the, the wicked tasklet. This is a church for those who have maybe some things in their past, who, who maybe, you know, have, have gone through some stuff, and yet now they're ready for God to do something in their life. That's the kind of church FX Church is. And this is a church where it's okay to not be okay. We are not a museum. We are a hospital. We want to help you get better. And then we want you to help us help other people get better. Another great example of this is Paul. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Paul. In fact, you can back up to Acts chapter, I believe, chapter 7. And you can read about how Stephen is stoned for his faith. Paul is there in agreement with it. And in Acts chapter 8, Paul becomes public enemy number one to Christians. He is leading a persecution against Christians. He's breaking into homes. He's dragging Christians out of their homes. He's having them thrown in prison. And it seems that he's playing a role in them being executed. So in chapter 9, we read that he is breathing out threatenings, man. He is really... You know, uh, he's really going after it. He, he is talking about killing God's people. And he's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him. And he says to him, you know, why are you persecuting me? I mean, you know that when people are messing with you as a believer, God looks at it as though they're messing with him. And so eventually, you know, P, you know Paul figures out, wait a minute, what do I need to do? I mean, he figures out real quickly I was wrong. And, and uh, he calls Jesus Lord. He says, what do I need to do? And, and this is just a side thought, but can I go here for a moment? This is a little deeper for those who've been around. So Jesus goes out of his way to, uh, to appear to Paul. Bright light. He hears a voice. Jesus speaks to him, says, you're wrong. And says, I'm Jesus. Paul says, what do I need to do? And then Jesus says, go into town and, and I'm going to send somebody. Well, Jesus, you're right here. Why can't you tell me what to do right now? You notice that? Man, you just did, you went through all of this to tell me this. And then you're going to say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm going to send somebody to tell you the rest. Sometimes God will not speak to you directly. He wants to use somebody to get to you what you need. That's why it's important to stay connected where God wants you to be connected. Because sometimes your answer is in the mouth of those you're supposed to be connected to. The reason why we talk about being in groups, not doing life alone. Because, and I found this personally, even with our group as a strategy team. I mean, we did a series last year called Hustle. It aired today on our broadcast. Thank God we're on national TV now. Look at, look at what God did. That series came out of a small group meeting. Had some things in my heart, start talking about it. And then as we all start talking about it, it was just like, boom, God just started saying stuff. Things just popped off. And all of a sudden, man, it was clear, this is what God's saying, and this is the message for the year. Well, you know, if I had just kept it to myself, if I had decided I wouldn't be connected with other people, y'all may not have gotten that. People all over the country may not have gotten that. And the same thing is true concerning the answers we might need in regards to our individual lives. Sometimes your answer 
is in the mouth of your brother and sister that you're supposed to be doing life together with. And sometimes your answer is in the mouth of your pastor. That's why you got to make sure you're at the right church. Where you go to church is a matter of life and death. You got to be where God tells you to be. You can get a good message from anybody, especially now. You can pull down a great message on your phone in a heartbeat for some of the best teachers in the world. But you need the message God has for you. You need that message. And so it's so important that you, 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 you stay connected, you stay where God wants you to be. Well, let me get back to what I was talking about. So, so we get to verse 10. And the Bible teaches us, of course, that uh, Paul actually ends up going blind for a season. He spends three days praying and fasting. And in verse 10, it says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm, or the King James Version says all the evil he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What's he saying? Lord, Saul of Tarsus? You know, he's Saul, the Bible calls Saul, he calls him Saul sometimes, Paul other times. This is the guy that's been going into people's homes and dragging them. He's been separating people from their children. He's been causing them to be killed for their faith. And you want me to go to this guy? This is the guy that we all heard was coming. The church probably had been praying for God to do something about this guy because now he's coming to Damascus and now they're scared. And God did do something. Got the guy saved. But you understand Ananias is saying, this guy... You know, God didn't say, yep, you know what? You're right. I forgot about that. It's the wrong guy. No, instead, God says to him, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Notice God did not define Paul by his past. He defined him by his future. One minister said this. He says, what you did is not who you are. Another guy said this. Your life is not defined by your past, your mistakes, or your regrets. You have a future. You are forgiven. You can walk confidently into tomorrow because Jesus already paid it all on the cross. Another guy said this, God never sees you as what you did. He sees you as what you can become. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, we can walk in freedom knowing we are who we are by the grace of God. And I like how Joel Osteen says this, don't feed your history Feed your destiny. And that's really what we need to do. God's not looking at your past. He's not looking at what you did. He's not looking at how you messed up. As long as you got right with him, 
He, that, that's all handled. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we, talking about believers, confess of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea there is he's cleansing you. It's like washing dishes. I was washing dishes last night. And when you're washing dishes, you are cleansing that plate, right? You're getting all that stuff off the plate. You didn't cover it up. God is not just covering up your sin. This isn't a cover-up. He's cleansed it. He doesn't even remember it anymore. As far as he's concerned, it didn't happen. And if that's the case, as far as God is concerned, that should be the case concerning you as well. That should be how you view your sin. He's washed it away. It is gone. I am clean before God. And if you're somebody who doesn't even know God yet, the Bible teaches that if you'll just be in Christ, you'll find that you'll be a new creature. Old things will be passed away and all things will become new. God's got a fresh start for you. He will not define you by your past, so you shouldn't either. You are not your past. Someone may say, Pastor, I get that, but I messed some things up, man. I had a, God had a plan for my life. He, he had all these things laid out, and, 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 I, and I blew it. I, I, I destroyed things. Well, like what somebody said, they said, when God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. Come on, does that, does that comfort anybody in this place? I don't know about you. That comforts me. God wasn't surprised. Come on. He is Alpha and Omega, right? He knows the beginning and the end. He already factored in all your low spots. He already factored in all those times where you would mess up. He already factored in those times when you would let yourself down. And he still said, I got a plan for you. I got a future for you. And it is bright. Genesis 39, verse 1. Let's read about another guy. And his story is a little different than what we talked about. And we, I mentioned him a little bit earlier today. His name is Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. How devastating is that? Just take a moment and put yourself in his shoes. Sold into slavery for the rest of your life? And he didn't really do anything. He was a 17-year-old kid with a big mouth. Anybody else has been a 17-year-old kid with a big mouth in here? Come on, you ain't put your hand up. You're lying right now. You know? Come on, most of us have been. That's all he was. He had a dream. He shared parts of his dream that he shouldn't have shared. I mean, okay, he shouldn't have did it. But is the price slavery? That's the consequence? And not just becoming a slave, but your own older brothers who you probably looked up to sold you into slavery? That has to be, that had to be horrible, devastating. Yet that's what was done to him. Verse 1 says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased. Man, to be purchased. By Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But notice this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you even when others abandon you. Come on, the Lord is with you even when, you, when others do you wrong. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar as he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. 
Well, he's doing well. But if we were to jump down a few scriptures, we find out that Potiphar's wife liked Joseph. And I don't mean in a holy way. The Bible says he was a good-looking guy. He's walking around the house all the time. And she decided that she wanted him. And Joseph kept telling her no. And finally, she caught him alone. She grabs him. He says no, and he runs. Somebody know how I many know sometimes you got to run? Because if you don't run, you're going to be, oh, glory, y'all. So he runs, and she, she still got a piece of his, she's got one of his, his, his clothes. So when his master comes home, she takes those, that, that, that jacket or that shirt, she puts it on the bed next to her and says, he tried to rape me. What? So then, of course, his master hears that one of his slaves tried to rape his wife, and he loses it. And what man wouldn't? His master's not at fault at all here. So the Bible says Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Once again, someone is doing Joseph wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. This woman lied on him. How, how horrible is it to be accused of rape? How much shame are you dealing with when that's what's going around the house? That's what's being said in the kingdom. You're now thrown in prison as, a, as someone who raped or attempted to rape the general's wife. And now you're sitting in prison. If you look at this in one of the other places in the Bible, it talks about how he was in fetters. He was in chains. This was done to him. And yet, the Lord was with him, the Bible teaches us. And caused everything he did to succeed. He was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners, of everything that happened in the prison. The Lord and the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You know something about this? Just because something happened to you doesn't have to determine the kind of person you're going to be. Clearly, he found a way to keep the right attitude, even as a slave, even as a prisoner, even though he had been betrayed by his own family, been betrayed by his master's wife. You are not what happened to you. You are who you choose to become. Well, eventually, he's done wrong again. A couple of men who are in prison have a dream. He interprets the dream. He tells the man, hey, when you get back before Pharaoh, remember me. You know, get me out of here. The man gets back before Pharaoh, forgets all about him. Done wrong again. He's sitting in prison going, man. But then one day, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy remembers him. And he comes before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, you know, this is what the dream I have. And Joseph tells him the dream and gives him the interpretation. And then Pharaoh says, we read in, in, in verse, 40, verse 39, where it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. 
You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Maya Angelou said something. She said, every storm runs out of rain. And that's what he found out. Yes, he'd been done wrong. He'd been done wrong. He'd been done wrong. But God has a way of making things right again. And God took this man from the jailhouse and put him in the penthouse. He did it overnight. He became prime minister of a nation that wasn't even his own, partly because he chose to handle it the right way. And so God had life after for him. When he was sold into slavery, God still said, I got life after this for you. When he was put in prison, God said, I still got life after this for you. When the baker forgot to, to tell Pharaoh about him, God says, I still got life after for you. And life after was wonderful. You don't have to be damaged goods. You can rise again. That's what Proverbs 24 talks about when it says, Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I like how the Bible teaches in the 23rd Psalm, how the Lord will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. God, well, he'll make things right. He'll make you whole again. He'll make you healed again. He'll make you flourish again. And he'll do it in front of the very people that did you wrong. You still have a future. If someone has done you wrong, you still have a future. If you've done wrong, you still have a future. One more, Job chapter 1. Y'all with me? Turn to him and tell him, you still have a future. Find somebody else and tell him, you still have a future. Find one more person tell them, you know, Jack. Job chapter 1. The Bible says Job was a good man. You know, he was, lived right before God and he was rich. So obviously it's not a sin to be rich. In fact, if you're obedient, God will make you rich. The Bible teaches that, Old Testament and New. And so, but you read the story. Satan has set his eyes on him. Satan's goal is to get him to curse God. That's his goal. And so I won't read all of this to you for time's sake. So Job you know, just has this day. I don't know what he was doing, sitting around, hanging out, whatever. One of his messengers comes to him and says, hey, um, the, the Chaldean raiders have come, and, and the Sabians, excuse me, have come, and, and they've taken all of your oxen, and they've taken all of your donkeys. They killed all the servants that were seeing them. That were taken care of. That's a disaster by itself, right? Your servants were killed. Part of it was a big part of his wealth were his oxen, and and of course uh, were his donkeys. While this guy is talking, here comes somebody else. Come running! Hey, fire fell from heaven. You know the Bible talks about satanic signs and wonders. Fire fell from heaven. It burned all your sheep and all the people that are watching the sheep. What in the world is going on? So now he's lost all of his sheep and he's lost more servants more employees. Then another one comes and says, Chaldean raiders just came and stole all your camels. Man, you know, that's going to work to pick up camels and run away with them, but 
<laughs> so now he's like, wait, I've lost all my possessions. And when you read about his possessions in Job chapter 1, it talks about his oxen, his sheep, his camels, his donkeys. It's all gone. Then another guy comes and says, your, your kids, your seven sons and your three daughters. We're all having, you know, hanging out at your son, older son's house. They were eating and drinking wine, and a tornado came and flattened the house. They're all dead. Attack after attack after attack after attack. And if that's not bad enough, the next chapter shows us that Satan puts sickness on his body. He has boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He literally grabs something. He's just using it to, to scratch himself, and he's just sitting in ashes. And his wife walks up to him and says, why do you maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. So now your wife has turned on you. She's, in, she's obviously grieving herself, and she's saying, curse God, which is what Satan wanted him to do. So she's being used by Satan, and she's saying, die, man. She wanted him to die. This guy's in a horrible place. He has literally lost everything. His life is ashes. If you read the book of Job, you read the longest pity party you will ever read in your life. You think you've had a pity party. You think you're eloquent. Read what Job had to say. <laughs> but finally at the end, God sets him right. And the Bible teaches us that the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Well, wait a minute. He had seven sons and three daughters before. So God gave him double what he lost and gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. And all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Notice this. After this, I literally underlined that in my Bible. After this, after what? After he lost all all of his possessions, he lost all of his children, he lost his wife, he lost his health, God still came in and turned everything around, and after all of that, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. So there was life after for Job. Sometimes we read the book of Job and we think, well, this is what happened over 30 years or 40 years. And some historians believe it was really more like nine months to a year. It was a horrible time. It was a horrible season. But it was just that, a season. He had life after that, a life where he was wealthy, a life where he had children and beautiful daughters, a life where clearly he got married again, a life where he got to see his son's sons. He got to see his son's son's sons and his son's son's son. He finally got to the end of his life. He's seen everything, done everything, enjoyed his life, and finally said, all right, I'm ready to go to heaven. There was life after for Job. And it reminds you of what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Hey, what can separate us from the love of God? Can trouble do it? Can distress do it? Can nakedness do it? Can danger do it? Can the sword do it? Can, can abuse do it? Come on now. Can, can, can uh, sickness do it? Can grief do it? Can whatever you're going through do it? No. And all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You are not a loser. You will not stay on your back. You're a just man who rises up again. God will help you in the middle of this. God will bring you out of this. And you're going to enjoy a life after that's even better than the life you had before. 
Come on, God is a God who will cause the dreams that you're living to be greater than the memories that you had. That's the kind of God you serve. You still have a future. Because he loves you that much. Whether you did something wrong or somebody did something to you, God is still with you. And God still has a future for you. Like what somebody said, I'll, I'll end with this. If plan A didn't work, the alphabet has 25 more letters. Stay cool. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.